This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And good afternoon, five minutes after four. Aliyah Varani will be doing the show today, doing all the heavy lifting. Uh, Aliyah is here to take your, your phone calls, your emails, your questions. So bring them on. Don't be bashful. As always on a Sunday afternoon, it is a live show and the phone lines ready for you. You want to do that? 604-280-9898. Aliyah, of course, part of San Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country. You can Google that and uh, it'll back me up on that particular statement. So Aliyah's ready to go. We hope you are as well. Again, 604-280-9898 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. On the show today, uh, before we get to a couple of uh, things that I know, Aliyah, you want to talk about off the top, we're going to eventually get to shattering severance myths. And if we have time, everything you need to know about constructive dismissal. So we got a lot of stuff to get through this afternoon. So let's have at her. You want to talk about a couple things first. Uh, Aliyah, what's going on with you? That's right. Thank you for the very kind introduction and happy Valentine's Day to yourself and to everybody listening. Um, So it's great to be back talking about employment rights. Um, For people who may not be as familiar with me, I'm practicing out of Vancouver, BC, and I've been doing a lot uh, recently, actually the whole firm has, to try to get some employment law information out to the general public. Um, so, so that's part of what I'm, I'm here to talk about tonight. Um, we certainly have been getting a lot of people calling in with, uh, uh, COVID related questions, or there's been a lot of, I think, changes to people's employment in the context of COVID. That's certainly one of the most popular things that I think everyone can agree has, uh, has changed for them. Um, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about, uh, what I've experienced in the past week with people that I've spoken to about their employment law issues. And um, one of the first uh, situations that I'd like to talk about is um, is a gentleman who spoke to me after he had been, um, so he's around 65 or so, and he'd been working for this company for a very long time, for about 20 years. And maybe like in the past year, there was a new manager that came in that decided to visit him at work, and he started to ask him, you know, um, when do you think you're going to leave us? Are you thinking about retirement? We know you've been here for a long time and you must be kind of considering these things now and sort of would, would every week kind of go in and ask him about that, that type of thing. And essentially they got to the point where maybe every week this, uh, this new manager was coming by his desk and asking him, well, what are your plans for retirement? Um, uh, when do you think you can let us know that this was going to be the case and, and kind of insinuating that his age is, 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 uh, may lead him to think about not being in the workforce as actively as as he used to be, um, and so what what ended up happening was uh, they brought him into uh, a meeting one day with the human resources person at the company, and they presented this agreement to him. And the agreement that um, you know in a couple months in the future he was going to uh, he was going to resign from his employment, and that was wow. that, and. Uh, yeah, very surprising. But uh, it's important that uh, to you know for everyone to know they didn't give him anything in exchange, so they didn't you know provide him with any severance package or even a, a thank you for his long period of time that he had been working there. But uh, but basically just had him in, in the presence of everybody without really much time to review what what even was was going on in the in this letter. Uh, basically, an agreement that he was going to be leaving by the end of the year. 
And so he felt, you know, a little bit pressured, understandably. He's got uh, a lot of other people in the room with him kind of watching him look through this. And so he signs it. And then eventually he leaves. And um, and, and he thinks about it some more. And I think he feels that this it, it something's not right about the situation. And then he eventually speaks to me and he says, is this, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I expected some sort of severance package here. And I... I spoke to some of the people that I used to know at the company. And I used to work very closely with, and and you know they agreed that this seemed kind of wrong. Is is this appropriate? And so, you know, when I reviewed this um, letter that they that they had him sign, it was clear that it was written in a way that um, that was meant to be so that uh, you know the employer is deciding essentially when he's leaving. It wasn't a voluntary resignation. This right. this guy had essentially been. Yeah, he'd been hounded for for weeks upon weeks, um, you know, about when he was going to go, and he actually quite loved his job. I mean, he I think if it was up to him when he described it to me, he would have been happy to stay there. I think for another five years or so. Um, and so uh, that that clearly wasn't appropriate, and in fact, um, that's not really a voluntary resignation, and and what that would be called is is a constructive dismissal. And I think mm-hmm. what what else is important for people to know about that is is that uh, there's elements of potential age discrimination as well. So just because you're 65, it doesn't mean that, and just because 65 tends to be, I think the average age of, of retirement across the nation is about 63 and a half. Um, just because you know, you're, you may be approaching the average age of, of when most people retire, it doesn't mean that, that you have to, maybe you, you would truly enjoy working. I know lots of people that I've met, you know, they just, they don't know what to do. They don't, they're not ready for retirement. For um, sure. And so, yeah. Yeah, they, especially if it's something that you're quite proficient at. Uh, sometimes age is not related to ability at all, or well, say, uh, you know, diminishing ability at all. And in fact, it's quite discriminatory to assume that it would be. Um, and so what, what he also can do in that situation is, uh, is bring what's called a, um, a BC Human Rights Tribunal complaint on the basis of age discrimination because it was assumed maybe that, uh, uh, you know, he was p- potentially targeted because of his age, which is... Yeah, which sounds like what is what was going on there with that new manager. Maybe he just didn't have that uh, uh, that um, you know he he had these kind of assumptions or stereotypes built into what uh, what he was doing there with this with this employee. Yeah, it's. I mean, you, you know, you can't just start putting you know golf brochures and retirement brochures on a guy's desk assuming that you'll you'll punt him out the door and be uh, free and clear of any sort of age discrimination. I mean, just walk into any you know medical building across this country and half the doctors are still working their 70s and 80s i mean these, there's no mandatory retirement anymore so uh so yeah a big a big bowl of wrong by that employer for sure it's uh 7 12 we got, still got a couple more minutes till we break here leah what uh, what else is on your plate what do you got going on yeah so so that's certainly one situation and and i think it was important that he knows that he has options there even though that has already happened but um but so there's things that you can do and the second situation that I was thinking of this week is that, um, and it's very popular, I think, across across Canada. But like I said, I practice out of BC, so I'm speaking to employees that have been um, terminated or, or have changes to their employment in BC. Um, but um, but you know, during COVID, layoffs were incredibly popular, and a lot of times, um, you know, I hear people who would call in and say. Um, I've been working for this company for a very long time. In fact, I have like the second highest seniority or perhaps the third highest seniority. And I have been laid off before somebody who's been only working there for maybe two or three years. Right. And that, that, that's something that I think felt very wrong um, to them. And, and 
you know, that, that tends to be a common theme for why people call us. Something just doesn't feel right about what happened. And, and a lot of times it's, uh, it's because, you know, something inappropriate is going on. Um, other times, I think like this time, I, I, what I would say is that it, maybe things that you weren't even aware of that were inappropriate for your employer to do had been happening. And so it's a very good idea to get that type of circumstance reviewed because um, the problem here is that there's like this assumption that, you know, your employer has the ability to lay you off in the first place. And that's, uh, that's simply not the case. Uh, and that's, that's really the first thing that went wrong. After that, it's kind of irrelevant whether it's based on seniority or not. Um, but there is kind of a process for how that seniority is recognized when these types of things happen. Um, and so maybe I can get into that a little bit in more detail about how that's recognized. But, uh, but that's kind of its own consideration once you once you know somebody realizes that the employer can't even lay them off in the first place because i think that uh maybe people are understanding about that first part but then they feel like they've been pushed to a limit with with respect to not having their seniority recognized um when truly it's uh yeah it's something that they should be wary of right from the beginning is uh, is seniority though really i could be wrong in this one but does it not play a part mostly a in a, a union situation or if someone's more federally regulated rather than provincially those are the two cases where seniority comes to the fore no well you know what i do notice it a lot with um with employees who have been from a previous union background so i think that's yeah. where it comes yeah. up and and that that you know that's going to be entirely different we don't necessarily um, if you're unionized, the correct place to go about, you know, problems with your employment or issues with with the, uh, you know, terms that have been changing is to your union representative, and they're going to have uh, the ability to help you under whatever has been determined for your collective agreement. So that's that's going to be slightly different. But you know, for everyone else, that the real wrong here is, uh, I think there's assumption that there there can be a layoff in the first place when mm. when that's just not the case, and then. You know the seniority is recognized by uh, by provision of an appropriate severance package. So so that's kind of how that would work. Is you would say, well, the layoff was the thing that was inappropriate, and then because of my seniority, you have to pay me an appropriate amount of severance. That that layoff is essentially a, a dismissal. You can treat it as a dismissal. Hey, welcome back to the uh, to the show. It's four eighteen. Still plenty of time this afternoon for you to call through, ask your questions. Aliyah Varani is in the driver's seat for this one this week. Again, number hasn't changed though six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And a reminder as well, even before that uh, that phone call here, if you want to do a little research on your own, fantastic website available for you called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That is put together by Lior some time ago. There's a ton of information on there. It's it's anonymous, but if you uh, want to carry through with the conversation after spending some time on the website, there's a contact button on the top right, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And I'll give you another number just to have this one after the show. If you want more of a uh, private conversation with Aaliyah, you can do that. 604-283-3123 is how that goes. Just getting our first couple calls lined up here for this afternoon. Leah, I want to start to uh, break into this. Uh, the topic you sent for today is fascinating, and this is the one that, uh, I, I, well, I'm, quite frankly, you get these calls and letters all the time from people. Severance myths. People just don't any better. They get uh, you know information from their buddy Steve or the guy across the fence or a buddy who used to practice law but not employment law, so they give them wrong information. So we're going to shatter some of those myths. Now, the first one, Aaliyah, Probably a hundred phone calls a week for you is this one. You're fired. You only get one or two weeks severance for every year of service. Sounds about right. Exactly. Yeah, I hear this all the time. It's just, it's so funny that you get the same question over and over again. And I wonder why, I wonder who, I want to meet the person who originally told anyone this. 
Um, but in VC, no, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, first you'd want to see if you have an employment contract. Um, even if you do, that's not necessarily a big deal. A lot of times there's something written in there about your severance entitlement. Sometimes there isn't at all. And sometimes even if it's written, it's not written properly. And so what that means is you'd, you'd be looking at a severance entitlement, not under, uh, you might hear from, from your employer, for example, that you've, you, you've been provided what's known as, you know, the Employment Standards Act minimum entitlements. That, that's really just like a baseline of severance. And, and that's also um, not the full extent of what you should or, or could receive. And so, um, you know, either that's going to be a couple of weeks or, or somebody may have an idea that the larger entitlement is just that one or two weeks for every year. But, but both of those things are wrong. So, so you can actually be entitled to much, much more than that. Sometimes it can be, you know, months of, of severance or months, months of what you used to receive as your compensation as severance. And it's not necessarily, say, even one month per year. Um, it doesn't kind of like line up like that, like, oh, I've been working 12 years, I'm going to get 12 months. It, it's really based on, you know, you'd, you'd want to look at a number of factors. And the big question that would try to be um, taken into account here is how long it's going to take you to find something like you used to have. Right. And mm -hmm. some of those things, you know, you may understand why that would be longer or shorter. And some of it is really going to be worthwhile to discuss with, say, an employment lawyer, because you may not be aware of uh, certain factors that you can, um, you know, that would that would work in your favor to lengthen that amount much, much longer than, say, one or two weeks every year. Um, so, so, yeah, it's very important that um, you maybe take like a minute or two just to to review. You can use, say, for example, we've got a severance calculator um, that can give you an idea which we put out there for people because this is such a common question. Um, but but yeah, it's never a good idea to assume that you know what your severance entitlement is. I'd say like 90% or more of the times, it's not. It's just not true. Yeah. Again, uh, the, what uh, Leah mentioned there, severance pay calculator, that can be found. It's, it's, it's wrapped up into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Again, the calculator, absolutely free, anonymous, and extremely accurate. Last time we checked, there was about 700,000 people that had used it. That was a couple of years ago, so for sure it's uh, it's uh, well worked in. You can check that out at, uh, at your leisure. Donna, thank you so much for hanging on this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Fantastic. What's on your mind? Um, I belong to a union that's a local that's very weak. There's um, about uh, 900 people in it, and it is... Um, an education QP union. They are very ineffective. Um, they can barely hold a meeting, and they're not able to um, function properly. And we've reached out to uh, QPBC, but this has been going on from before Q, uh, COVID, and there just seems to never be any fixing. The presidents come, the executives come and go, and nobody can ever stand up to the bully employer. And we've reached out to QPBC, and they seem ineffective to help us with it. We're paying tens of thousands of dollars a month for help, and we're not getting it. Is there any recourse? Yeah, that's okay. So I hear that sometimes and I get very, I mean, it's really disappointing because when I, when I speak to people that are, you know, belonging to a union, that's, that's kind of your exclusive bargaining agent. You, you're going to have a collective agreement um, 
that, uh, you know, and your union rep, which I think, you know, it sounds like you're having problems with, but, but they're, they're the people that you kind of have to go to to solve those problems under your collective agreement. And they may not be doing a great job, but, but unfortunately, let's just say you try to hire private counsel. What's going to happen is, um, uh, they're going to be prevented from being involved because of something called like a lack of jurisdiction. It just means that it's not the correct process to go through. So, so I think that, um, you know, what's really sad is when I hear this is that the process isn't necessarily working as it should, but, um, but you still have to, at least in a unionized environment, you're, you're kind of bound by that, by that collective agreement and by taking those grievances to your union rep. Um, it's just not going to be possible to, um, it's not going to be possible to have a private lawyer act on your behalf in that situation, unfortunately. Yeah, you live by the union, you die by the union, basically, is what it uh, what it boils down to, I guess. Uh, the number, uh, 604-280-9898. That is how you get that call on the air like Donna. Johnny, you're up next. Thanks for standing by. Good afternoon. Hey, no problem. I'm on the other side. I'm an employer. And, um, cool. you know, you, you hire a guy, you have an interview, um, you know, he tells you everything that you want to hear, you read his resume, you phone his references. Unfortunately, references can't be negative like you can't say anything negative about people anymore you either say nothing or or only positive things so hmm. it's very difficult to get the right goods so you hire a guy he's on the job for a week and you realize it's just not working um can, can a guy just be dismissed immediately like you know during his probationary period or are there minimum time frames are there certain severances even though it's been such a short-term in, employment without him. Yep, good questions. Yeah, go ahead. That's an amazing question. And I think that what I would say is you you have to make sure you have a very well-drafted employment contract. It would certainly be, say, the best policy for an employer to make sure that they've got a clearly outlined probationary period that's written into the contract. Traditionally, I'll see something like, you know, three months up to six months. But as an employer, you should know that, let's just say you've written in that it's a six-month probationary period. If somebody's been hired for longer or been working for longer than three months, then you still have to pay them you know, minimum severance under the Employment Standards Act. And so, say, best practices for an employer would be to have a contract that includes you know, a valid termination clause that you know, should be drafted properly, um, that limits severance to, say, like the, the Employment Standards Act minimum entitlements, and then, you know, something that clearly outlines what those probationary periods are. Um, and then just to be aware that if it goes beyond three months, that, you know, you're still going to have to pay, like, even though you say it's a six-month probationary period, you still have to pay, say, one week of severance under the Employment Standards Act. I, I mean, the other thing that I would say that's very important that came up, I think, a lot in COVID is that, you know, you do have a duty as an employer to ensure that there's, you know, uh, that you're doing the best you can to determine suitability. So you have to do that in what's called good faith. And so you can't, you know, say set the employee up for failure or say, you know, well, it's COVID and you haven't made sales goals um, because, you know, there's a huge issue with supply and demand related to the pandemic. That's that's not really a good faith way of determining suitability. But but truly, if there's problems that are, you know, related to, say, stealing or or even just not, you um, you know, doing the type of, of work that you'd expect someone to do based on what they said that they were able to and based on what you needed for the job, then that's that's going to be appropriate to determine suitability for the position uh, during the probationary period. 
during say like that shorter three month probationary period. We have one other question. Is that's all right? Sure. Yeah. So in, in my business, um, you know, our, our employees have, you know, we give them their own fan, you know, their own tools, stuff like that. And if, if somebody like through negligence, I mean, I don't know what the, the, you know, the, the definition is specifically, but let's say the guy's backing his van up, you know, he's got backup mirrors, he's got sensors, he's got a camera, but he backs up into someone's car. Now, is that something you can hold the employee responsible for personally if he's just just a, you know, a doughhead as opposed to, you know, a literal accident, like something that was out of his control that happened? Johnny, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to answer that after a short break, but we got to take a quick uh, quick spot for news. I know Aaliyah wants to dig into that for sure, so Johnny, hang on. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. Thanks uh, so much for standing by. Welcome back. Good afternoon. Hope your Sunday is uh, awesome. 4.33 is where we are in the Employment Law Show, and uh, we had our just our last caller there. Aliyah Johnny was talking about, uh, you know, some employment laws and you know, how he carries forth with, uh, you know, three-month... Um, uh, the, the word completely fell out of my head. Can you believe it? Probation. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah, thank you. Probation. Jeez, sucks being 50, I'm telling you. Um, but he also said, you know, if he had a doe-head employee, which is awesome... Yeah, no, I wish. If he had a, you know, an employee that kind of, quote unquote, accidentally backed into another car with a truck, how does he, how does he handle that situation? I think basically what he was, uh, he was trying to say, he hung up, but I think that's what he was trying to say. Yes, I. Uh, that's a very good question as well, and I hope he's still listening because, um, because you know, unfortunately, if you're you know an employer in that situation, they, you're not going to be able to say sue your employee for for what you would say is, is there negligence or, or maybe like a doe-headed act. Um, it's, it's just not going to be possible for that type of simple negligence situation. Um, you know, what could happen is say if the employer is able to show that this is like a skilled worker, like a very, maybe like a CPA or something, or if, if there's like fraudulent or intentional or reckless acts where, where they've caused a loss for the employer, then there may be some options there. It it's still is going to be a, a burden that the employer has to meet. So it, there's some things that the employer has to show for that to be successful. Um, but, but if it's just, you know, say simple negligence, that's not going to be possible. I think thinking about it in the context of his previous question about probationary periods, maybe he was asking because um, he wants to know me. I think certainly that would be a reason to determine that an employee is like not suitable for the job if they were in the probationary period. But, uh, but to, you know, then hold them responsible in negligence, is, that's not going to be possible. As far as the, you know, the, the context or at least the question about probation periods, they, they are something that those are a, um, those are a beast drafted into an employment contract, correct? Uh, probation periods are not automatic. You go out and get a job tomorrow, it doesn't automatically have a three-month probation period. That has to be written into the contract, No. It's certainly best practices for the employer. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, these types of things, if you want to rely on them, you need to have them written down. Otherwise, it's going to cause a lot of problems for you um, as an employer to try to say that that, uh, I mean, a big part of it is the expectation of what's going on, right? So you have to hold them to, you have to hold, say, as an employer, um, 
you have to give them an, a reasonable opportunity to prove that they're suitable and, and also know right. that they're what they're going to be tested on and what they need to do during that period. And so the be- you know, the more you can do to kind of outline what those terms are, it's going to be better for you as an employer to either say this is what you need to do or this is what you're not doing. And this is what you um, this is kind of the standard that we expect. And then also for the employee to know that that's something that's expected of them. Otherwise, uh, there can be a lot of ambiguity there. The number to call in, by the way, for the remainder of the show today. We'd love to talk to you. you got questions, don't uh, don't sit around scratching your head. Call, ask Aaliyah for sure. 604-280-9898. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the way to uh, send us an email if you'd like to do that. We'll try to get to some before the end of the show. We don't always do because we always get a lot of calls, and we like taking those first because you always have priority. Live show, of course, at uh, 4 37 shattering uh, severance myths that's what we are talking about but i want to get to uh, to joe's phone call before we bounce back over to our topic for the day joe thanks for uh, hanging on for a sec how are you uh good thank you how are you great what's uh, what's your question um i worked for well i did work for the uh, federal government and i got uh, i was on a temporary contract um and everybody else was being continued uh for another couple of years except me i uh have a disability and uh, they said they can't accommodate my disability so I filed a grievance and probably a federal uh, human rights complaint or something but you know I always hear about the stuff about the charter challenges and stuff like that or class actions for uh, workers with disabilities of which I am and like how would somebody pursue uh, I don't know a charter challenge under section 15 or something equality rights or um, a class action in a situation like this, separate from uh, individual grievance process. That's interesting. So, I mean, that's quite an undertaking. I think that um, I think that you are going about it in the right method to bring, say, a uh, a human rights discrimination claim or a discrimination complaint on the basis that you know, say, they hadn't really met that. They're saying that they can't accommodate you. The employer is going to have a very, very high threshold there to to the point of what's uh, what's called essentially undue hardship. It's actually a topic I was hoping to get into, um, but um, but in any event, so you've done the correct process there um, with respect to bringing a class action suit. That's going to be. Um, I think you mentioned that you're the only one, perhaps, in this situation. Part part of a class action means that there's a group of individuals that are kind of experiencing the same type of. Uh, of um, say conduct from the employer or circumstances as you and, and then you have to go through kind of a separate procedure to get what's known as you know say class certification and it can take a very very long time and so your your claim may not be i mean it may not be appropriate for for that type of proceeding and so so what you may want to think about doing is is well exactly what you are doing with respect to bringing that discrimination complaint and then potentially you know, you can bring a claim just for your regular severance under what you would be owed. Say, if you don't have a limit of, of what your severance is owed in your contract, then um, I'd want to see, you said temporary contract. I don't know if that's kind of like a fixed term. Um, if it is, uh, this is also actually one of the other topics I was hoping to discuss, then you can potentially ask for the, the balance of the fixed term that you would have expected to receive payment. So, so I think that those well, options may just be a little bit more practical. Well, that's what they're doing. I got um, basically in January, they said my services are no longer required. They can't accommodate me. And we're just going to pay you to the end of your contract, which is end of March. Um, and I do know other workers with disabilities in these um, circumstances. And 
you know, um, I, I've heard like various charter challenges. I remember there was that thing about the RTMP or Women's Pay Equity or First Nations or LGBT, and I've never seen one for disabled workers. And um, so that's the class action part. But for the um, charter challenge, like, is there a way to do this? Like, as an individual saying they haven't accommodated me or something under Section 15, separate from all these grievances? Yeah, so that's that's interesting. I mean, you could like I think if you're asking if you can do both at the same time, um, you'd want to make sure that you have this reviewed very carefully by a council because that is a, that is a concern that that you're rightly that you're rightly kind of I think um, you know alive to. You want to make sure you're not asking for the same type of remedy in you know multiple lawsuits. The courts don't tend to like that very much, and they may um, you know they may try to channel you into the right the process that can deal with the most like most of your concerns together um or like you know that can give you the appropriate remedy in the most practical or efficient way um if there is an overlap then you may be prevented from doing that but uh, what you could do is you could speak to say an employment lawyer i know that we actually do class actions um as well when it when the situation is appropriate and then just make sure that you're organizing your claims properly i think that's just something i would want to advise you to, to be aware of is um you know, it does sound like you have an opportunity here to to say that there's been discrimination, potentially a constructive dismissal. But but if you're looking at a class action as well, you just want to be very careful about how you organize your claims. Um, okay, so uh, a couple of points. If I wanted to talk to your firm, it's the same info that you've been kind of mentioning here. And the second part is, um, I think as an individual you know, who is unionized, um, but at the same time, as just an average person, I don't have resources like these big um, government organizations. So it's kind of the cards stacked against me. And do firms usually, is there any pro bono or I don't know, percentage or something? Like how, how do you equalize the fighting back against the system? That's an amazing question. This happens all the time. If you think about it, people who come to us who've just been terminated, they just don't have a lot of resources that they, I mean, there's a huge power imbalance between an employer and employee. Many times it's what prevents people from having their contract reviewed in the first place because they're just, you know, they feel like they have to be grateful to just have the opportunity and have the job. And and so, you know, this is something that's actually taken into consideration when we look at how the law is applied. Um, in terms of what we can do as firms and, and uh, in order to, to prevent this power imbalance from preventing people from having fair treatment, we can oftentimes do things on contingency exactly. Uh, I think that's what you mentioned in terms of, say, a percentage. So we, we essentially work um, on the um, ability to recover once we once once the kind of the claim is is settled. Um, that's not always going to be possible, but where it is possible, we we try to offer that because we recognize that this is going to be otherwise very difficult for people to do. 4.45, back at it Sunday afternoon. Aliyah Varani is here taking the uh, the questions, the emails, and covering the topics today. Shattering severance myths, that is what we are talking about. So another one, your employer says you've been fired for cause, so hey, you aren't owed any severance. Great question. <laughs> so... It's, I mean, it's important to know it's slightly different versus BC and Ontario. Like I said, I'm I'm practicing out of BC, and so I can help you know British Columbians with their employment law issues. But we do have offices, you know, say in in Ottawa and Toronto for for the Ontario specific problems. But it's slightly different. Say if you're fired for cause in Ontario, there's some situations where you can still get say minimum severance even if you've been fired for cause. In BC, I think what I would want to point out to people. Um, who've been told by their employer that they have been terminated for cause is just 
just because your employer says it's the case doesn't mean that it's true. And that that actually applies to a whole host of issues that people come to speak to me with. It's just so, so important not to take what your employer is saying at, um, you know, at face value. And it's so it's it's always a great idea to kind of look beyond what they may be saying is the case. Like, for example, whether that be frustration, you, it's, you may see that word and wonder what it means or that they can't perform your contract or that they can't um, accommodate you or or that type of thing. You know, don't don't take that uh, to, to mean that just because they're saying it, it's true. Um, I think that what I would point out is there's a very, very high threshold to meet when an employer says that you've been terminated for cause. Um, and, and it's such an extraordinary, um, it's such a serious thing to happen when, when you're not given that ability to um, have your severance paid to you when you've been let go, that, um, that they really have to do, say, um, everything that they can. The employer has to um, before they can say that the employment relationship is impossible to continue. And that's what they're saying when they terminate you for just cause is that, um, that it's, you know, it's known as the capital punishment of the employment relationship. Yeah. It's not just going to be something like you show up late one day and you're a 12 year employee. I think when I was maybe younger in my first, you know, couple of jobs, I thought if I showed up late, I could be terminated for cause. Nobody has to tell me that, um, you know, give me any notice of my termination or anything like that. But, but that's not going to be the case. It, it, for a one time offense, it's going to have to be something like stealing or, um, uh, maybe serious acts of violence. Um, for everything else, it's going to be the employer has to show like a progressive system of discipline, a lot of warnings, maybe a written warning and then a suspension and then pointing out what you can do to improve before they can say that they've truly terminated you for cause. Um, and if they don't do that and they don't follow that process properly, then uh, that just cause has not really been proven or shown. And then you can you, then you're still owed severance. So it's it's just important to know that. And we're back, and uh, welcome back. 4.51, going to keep going here for a, a couple more minutes. You want to uh, send an email along, we'll try to get to some of those, but I want to finish off sh- uh, Shattering Severance Myths because this is really important stuff. The website, by the way, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca has got a lot of information for you as well. And to reach Aaliyah after the show, 604-283-3123. Okay, being quote-unquote on contract, Aaliyah, means you don't get any severance. How about that one? Yes, and this is something that almost came up, I think, with our last caller, but he said he was on a, a contract or, or some sort of like fixed term contract. It may have been. Um, and, um, it, you know, it, it's very important that that's actually one of the situations you can get a lot more severance than potentially you would otherwise be owed, even, even if there wasn't a limit written in. And that's the reason for that is that, uh, say your, your employer gives you a contract and they say to you that you're going to be employed with them for a period of, say, one and a half years or two years. Now, um, what you can do if you're let go before the end of that period of, of time that's written on the contract, then you can uh, you can say that you had an expectation to be, well, to be employed until the end of the term. And therefore, that if they let you go before that term ends, that they have to pay you for the rest of the term or pay you, you know, an amount equivalent to the rest of the term right now if they want to break that contract with you if they want to kind of break that employment relationship with you Um, and so um, it's not necessarily a bad thing at all Uh, you just want to make sure that you have that reviewed because it can actually put you in um, you know it can put you you have to be put in the situation that you would be in if you expected to kind of continue on and that's that's really what it's about it's about expectation and and, um, fairness under the terms and so 
it's always a good idea to get that reviewed. You, you could be owed substantially more. Short service employees get very little severance. In fact, some people think that they don't even bother pursuing anything because they figure, I haven't been here very long, I probably get squat, right? Yes, I hear that a lot as well. Um, and it's something that employers are also not necessarily as aware of. But if there's no limit in a contract to someone's severance and say they're employed, when we talk about short-term employees, we're talking about something like less than a year up to about two years. Um the average amount of severance for those types of um, uh, terminated employees is actually somewhere around five and a half months. And that, um, you know, kind of to circle back to the question that you were talking about, or you had asked me earlier, you know, is it appropriate to assume that you're getting, I say, one or two weeks per year? Um, that's not the case at all. And in fact, it can be, you know, quite disproportionate. And the reason why is because um, in BC and in Ontario, actually, um, we kind of look at what's called the case or the common law, which is just the development of cases from our court system. We've got so sort of a development of the law that says that these short service um, employees are, are going to be owed uh, disproportionately more severance. And if you think about it and you think about the answer to the question of how long is it going to take you to find new work, um, it can kind of look bad on a resume if you've been employed somewhere for a very short period of time without explanation. And if that prevents you from kind of getting new work, then there's this assumption that shorter term employees are going to maybe need more severance to tide them over before they find something appropriate or comparable. Last one is this, my friend. Your rights to severance don't expire if you don't accept the old offer deadline, Friday at 5 or Thursday at 3 or whatever. That's when we need it back. That's what people are fearing of, right? That's well, It's a pressure tactic, but that's why they, uh, that's why they do that, right? <laughs> Exactly. This is, I still, this is, you know, I hope that if I say this enough that people will eventually believe me or will reach, you know, the whole nation because everybody should know this. It's so, so important. By far the most, um, you know, popular circumstance when I speak to someone is they're stressed out so unnecessarily so because they've yeah. got this deadline and an, an offer from their employer. And, it, you know, that, that offer or that deadline is just so meaningless. You can totally forget about it. You don't even have to respond. They can't do anything. They may, they, you know, they're required to pay you, say, your minimum severance within, you know, 48 hours of your termination. And just because they do that doesn't mean that you've accepted anything. But, you know, if you never talk to them, that's fine. Um, it's not going to change your rights. The only thing you should worry about is say, well, there's something called a, a limitation period um, for all legal, almost well, uh, nearly all legal claims. But that's something like two years. And so um, it's not going to be a big deal if you wait a month or two months or a little bit of time to get yourself sorted after this understandably big change um, before you decide to look into what's going on and, and really take your time to get the full um, amount of options that you have and consider them before making a decision. It's just it's just so unnecessary to put yourself under that stress. And, and I really wish that this would not be something that we have to deal with anymore because it's so... Um, it's just a meaningless deadline. Well, that's why we're doing the show, right? Educating people. We literally have two minutes, so I'm going to throw a quick email at you, Aaliyah. This one from Fred says, uh, Hi, Aaliyah. My employer found out that I was looking for another job. I was fired on the spot, and I have not been paid my severance. Am I owed anything? Yeah, that's um, that's actually one of the situations we were kind of talking about. It's amazing mm -hmm. how it all lined up with everybody's questions that we're calling in, but but uh, yeah, Fred, that's probably not going to meet that very high threshold for just cause, for example. Um, I mean, it really depends on on what what exactly you had been, say, doing. If you had been setting up interviews 
and maybe you're like in a managerial position or a very high trust position, that's maybe one thing. But but another thing it would be if you're just kind of like, you know, networking, that's not really a big deal. But but there's a whole range of behavior here that that can be maybe something the employer doesn't necessarily like, but doesn't meet that that threshold of just cause. And and so it would be a, a great opportunity to have that particular facts of that situation reviewed because chances are that's not cause. I'd say there's a very good chance that that's not going to meet uh, it's not going to meet the requirements for cause, um, particularly if it's if it's something like just reaching out to someone asking about, you know, what's going on in their company. Um, there's a lot of different ways that, that could have happened that that would have been perfectly fine. And that'll pretty much take up all of our time for this afternoon. Appreciate your phone calls. If we didn't get to you, we just uh, we will uh, endeavor to do so. If you want to call back on our next show, that'll be next Sunday. If you want to uh, reach out to Aaliyah now, you can, 604-283-3123. For a more private conversation, email address is help at employmentlawyer.say. If you shorten that to simply employmentlawyer.say, that will give you links to our long-running TV show as well. And then finally, we mentioned it several times uh, this afternoon, Pocket Employment Lawyer. .ca, robust website full of employment law information, absolutely free and anonymous. So there you go, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll catch you next weekend, Employment Law Show on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.